But to, to get back to the actual question, I, I'm not sure what are you okay with it is really asking. Like, do I, I think it's. <laughs> I'm asking now, you're okay with it. <laughs> it's not rocket science, dude. <laughs> do I think it is always the best business model? Is is that the question? Or like, oh, oh, okay with it as a business model? Okay no, with I'm it just asking philosophically? It. I'm asking, like, I, <laughs> dude, I, I don't know. <laughs> Am I speaking German? I don't know if this is a particularly complicated question. I'm just saying, is the notion of someone building proprietary add-ons on top of a objectively, genuinely open source project, are you okay with, are you comfortable with that model? Do you, understanding that it's not perfect, there are, there are flaws with every business model that we just went through, but is that a model that you outright object to, or is that something you feel comfortable with? Welcome to Bad Voltage. This is Season 3, Episode 9, being recorded on the 21st of July, 2020. And I would like to open this, unusually for us, with a quotation from the Bible. <laughs> I, wasn't I wasn't expecting this. Okay. <laughs> I was also not expecting I came across this, and I felt that, um, uh, surprisingly, the, um, the Holy Book of the Christians seems to have really captured the spirit of 2020 for me. Right? And oh, this is, this is, no, no, it's truth. Uh, it's King no pun intended. <laughs> the, <laughs> oh dear. This is, um, from the King James Hebrews, um, uh, chapter 13, verse eight. And I swear this is what that verse reads, summarizing 2020. And it is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I might have that hacked above the stone above my door. <laughs> and I, I saw not- that I saw that in one of these, um, you know, these sort of meme pictures where someone takes a nice picture of a lake or something and then writes words of wisdom on it in some yeah. in a in a font right. they just downloaded. I saw that and I thought, <laughs> I thought, what that can't, that can't possibly be right. And so I went and looked it up started a little heavier than the average bad voltage <laughs> <laughs> it certainly did yeah. well i thought you know we're not talking about coronavirus anymore or hopefully ever 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 again <laughs> so- yes yeah we did we did do our uh, two-part special report on coronavirus so yes welcome everybody i hope you're all safe and well um well today we're going to talk about open core into this is going to be another one of those bumper long shows don't worry we'll get back to the news uh, probably in the next one um, but we are going to spend the entire show today talking about OpenCore, which is a model that has generated a bit of discussion in the open source world about the merits and the disadvantages of such a model, if it is a model in the first place, as we'll get into. Um, so be sure to stick around for that. Anything else before we get on with this, um, gentlemen? I would very briefly like to say um, thank you to Marius of um, NerdZoom Media for being our editor. Yes. And um, thank you very much for yes. that. And does an amazing job. I, I've I, I've I finally got the new cable he's been badging me to get, so hopefully he'll be ha- he'll be happier now. Curious if you're going to sound any better. Was it a parallel port cable? <laughs> it's it's a parallel port. You wouldn't believe going through going through my leads box. You would not believe the rubbish I found in there. I'm going through going, 
What does this plug into? What did it ever plug into? I don't even recognise the thing on the end of this. Nuts. And you know those USB plugs with um the square end that you used to have to plug into printers? Right? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And you think, yeah, I vaguely remember them. Why have I got five? <laughs> <laughs> and what can I do? Didn't realise you were a hoarder. I Well, cables, you never throw any cables away because throwing cable away guarantees you will need it the following week i'll be betting once <laughs> never happening again but i i honestly I, and i'm going through it going i must have a cable that plugs into a blue yeti and i'm pulling one out going no no and i've got a bunch all of which are about three inches long which <laughs> you know what those square usb cables for some reason to this day Almost every piece of musical equipment that connects via USB uses one of those. Um, Don't know why. In that case, w- would you like a bunch? Uh, yes, actually, because I've got one, <laughs> and I'm worried at some point it's going to just evaporate into dust at some point, and I won't be able to buy them anymore. Seriously, so. I've, I mean, I assume they're all the same. If they are, I've, I'm not kidding. I've got five. You are welcome to. Although I, I like how you asked, I wonder why I have all these, and then one minute later said, Never throw out a cable. Well, no, 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 no. no. You have, I, in fact, answered your own question. Just no, no, I understand, I understand why I still have them. I don't understand why I got them in the first place. Oh, it's All not right. why you have them now. It's the acquisition of them. I got you. All yeah, right. I mean, like, I don't think I've owned five printers in total, let alone at once. <laughs> well, we, you heard it here first. Folks, the Bible and cables, uh, that <laughs> crime-fighting duo at the beginning of Bad Voltage. All right. Now, shall, now we, on, shall we do this? I was going to say, now on to this episode, brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> that is the innest of in-jokes, by the way. <laughs> Open core. These are two words that have been talked about quite a bit in, I'd say, the last probably three or four years in the open source world. And open core is something that has attracted some people who are very interested in it, like businesses who are quite interested in it, like GitLab and Styra and Datastax and Redis and all these different companies. But it's also a concept that has attracted some detractors as well. There's been a number of people like Simon Phipps and Matt AC who've said outright that they think OpenCore is a bad model. So we thought we'd get into it, right? And then we planned the show. <laughs> and we talked about this segment. We do actually do some planning, you Philistines, by the way, if you're trying to accuse us of otherwise. And we um, we realize that we're not entirely sure we agree on the fucking definition of open core, let alone anything else. So um, why don't we start there? Now, Jeremy, you dug up something on salt, right? That, that their definition, and then we're going to talk about a different definition that Mr. Language is going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So I... Kind of like the the way that they articulated on their site. So I'm just going to read it straight from their fact, and then we can comment on it if we want. But the, the fact yes. entry is, is Salt open core? And their answer is no. Salt is 100% committed to being open source, including all of our APIs. It is developed under the Apache 2 license, allowing it to be used in both open and proprietary projects. To expand on this a little, there is much argument over the actual definition of open core. From our standpoint, Salt is open source because, one, it's a standalone product that anyone is free to use. Two, it is developed in the open with contributions accepted from the community for the good of the project 
Three, there are no features of Salt itself that are restricted to separate proprietary products distributed by SaltStack, Inc. Four, because of the Apache 2 license, Salt can be used as the foundation for a project or even a proprietary tool. And five, our APIs are open and documented, and any lack of documentation is an oversight that will be ostensibly corrected as opposed to an intentional decision by SaltStack, the company. And so their, their final sentence is, SaltSec, the company, does make proprietary products which use Salt and Salt's libraries, like any other company is free to do, but we do so via the public APIs, not by forking Salt or making a different distribution, and not by creating different, uh, and creating different closed source versions of it for paying customers. So it's very clear in that definition that they're basically saying everything to do with Salt, it's open. Yes. Right? The they're, thing they're that they very sell clear about is that. not a proprietary version of Salt. It's an additional thing built on Salt's APIs that is it, different. It sits on top of it, yeah, yeah, or it connects to it, right. Now, um, so again, when we were prepping this show, we spent quite a bit of time talking about it. We'll get to it in a second. But then we started arguing with each other about the definition of open core. So Mr. Language, do you want to share the definition of open core according to the one true bastion of all knowledge, which is, of course, Wikipedia? Well, I mean, I th- and not, jo- not, well, not johnabacon.com. We know I, that's the other bastion of all knowledge. I think um, uh, I think a fair few people, if they were looking for definition, the first thing they do is type it into Google, and the first thing they're going to get is uh, the Wikipedia page about it. Indeed, and, yes. Uh, the Wikipedia page, which... You know, um, taken with the pinch of salt, haha, that all, uh, the, the all Wikipedia things come with, um, says the open wow. core model. The open core model primarily involves offering a core in quotes or feature limited version of a software product as free and open source software, while offering quote commercial versions or add-ons as proprietary software. Mm. Uh, and I think that would. Well, from my point of view, I think a lot of people's instinctive reaction to it is that that's actually not a bad summary, especially people who don't like the idea of open core. I think the idea, I think the reason they don't like the idea of open core is because that's what they think open core is. That what you get is basically a noddy version. Right. Like they go, yeah, 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 it's open source, but it's actually limited, like shareware stuff used to be in the past, or it's missing something which basically everyone needs which is suddenly a proprietary plugin so and and the objection is that people who are doing that are looking to get all the benefits of saying we're open source while still being able to keep critical stuff closed source in it's order, a trojan in horse essentially they're the only people who can monetize it who can uh, make changes to it who can shape its direction so they want the benefits of saying open source without having to give up any of the control or any of the money which is not how open source works now what was interesting to me is that again when we were prepping this show we suggested the idea of top the topic of open core and then we immediately as we often do started arguing with each other (laughs) about it but what we zoned in on which i think is just a cut to the chase is that definition on wikipedia the 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 critical piece of it is feature limited version yes right now this is where i think it gets interesting because my personal view of open core 
is that it isn't intentionally feature limited. So when I think of someone like GitLab, like I would point to GitLab as being one of the finest examples of open core out there, is they've built a open source platform, GitLab, community edition. And um, it's it's very, very comprehensive in what it can do. It's not locked down. It's not limited. It's not it's not got any kind anything like that. But then what they've done is they've then built a commercial product which takes that and it adds a jetpack onto it and it does loads of extra things. I think part of the reason why people get so fiery about open core is they're actually talking about two different definitions here. You know? Um, it reminds me a little bit of without getting into politics. I remember reading somewhere about the um, the academic definition of racism and there's another definition of racism, which are quite different. And people often are bickering with each other about racism because they're kind of using different definitions. And it almost seems like that's kind of happening here with Open Core. What do you guys think about that? I think you say not to talk about politics and then talk about politics an alarming amount. Um, <laughs> oh, it's because it's relevant. It's interesting. Yeah, I just yeah. don't want to get into it. So g- going back to this, I, I think what's interesting to me is, is like many things, it's, it's pretty nuanced and there isn't really an open core model. Just like there's no business, the, the open source business model. There's no open core model. There's a spectrum of companies that are doing things that some would consider open core and some wouldn't consider open core. So salt is right. is not by their definition. I think by some definitions, people would consider salt open core. Personally, I, I don't. Um, what, what, what I'd be curious for the folks that think salt is open core, do they think Postgres is, is open core because you have enterprise, enterprise DB making a proprietary version of Postgres. You have a bunch of companies that sell closed plugins to, uh, Postgres or things that are closed around Postgres, like clustering and other things. Hmm. Does that make Postgres a, a open core project? Which seems like I, I don't think so personally, but I also don't think salt doesn't is, so seem like it to me. Curious where people fall on that one. That's one thing I thought may help. You you mentioned GitLab. I think GitLab is an interesting example for a couple of reasons. One, uh, like with everything they do, they're super transparent and, and they're very collaborative in their approach. Uh, one thing that yeah. I like is Sid very explicitly spells out how they decide what goes where in a way that not a lot of other open core companies do. So from him, it's Mm. if the feature is aimed at an individual contributor, it's in the open source version. If it's aimed at a manager, it's in their first paid tier. If it's aimed at a director, it's at their second paid tier. And if it's aimed at a C-level exec, it's in their highest tier. And even recently went through every feature they had and reassessed, reevaluated what they were. And they made 18 features that were in various tiers open source. So I think that it's an interesting approach to say, okay, here's who we're selling to. If it's going to be used by by a contributor, it's just in the open source version. I think think my, the the kind of um, rule of thumb test I have is if you look at Salt as an example, they have some people working on... um, uh, the core product, and some people working on the proprietary add-ons. If you were to split the company down the middle and make the people working on the proprietary add-ons a separate company with an office somewhere else, so they had to relate to the open source project the way every other company does, would it break the way they do business? And we saw, I don't think it does. And and that's exactly the point they're trying to put across. No, they're very clear that they only use public APIs, right? Yeah, and so um, from my perspective, that's not open core. I agree with them. Um, or if it is open, uh, it, 
it, it's not relevant whether it's open court. My, my, my point is, I think that's okay to do. Exactly okay. how you, yes. exactly how yep. you brand or badge that business model, <laughs> not really relevant. It's that's a reasonable thing to do. It's where um, the people, you, the people building the proprietary stuff are either. Um, They've either got access to a bunch of documentation that the other people haven't got, like, for example, being able to walk down the hall and ask the guy who built it, do me a favour and just stick me an API in to do this, will you? Which other people don't have access to. Or they're using non-public APIs. Um, Or... The or the company has decided that this plugin is technically it's a plugin and it's separate and therefore that's okay. But in practice, everybody actually needs it. Yeah. At that point, you're doing the wrong thing that I don't agree with. Or rather, you're doing it. You're doing a thing which you can decide to do, but you're not open source. Um, would we agree? Would we agree? Going back to the wiki t- Wikipedia definition, that if you are building a piece of open source software that is intentionally feature limited um that that's a bad thing right the culture of the open source project should be that people can generally add features and make it as good as possible i think we would all agree that that's probably a bad thing right? well um i'd say a priori that's a bad thing is not necessarily a good idea because there are some projects which are feature limited because they don't want to grow any bigger i mean give give you a stupid example from like this week um pick which is the, a color picker thing that i built for um ubuntu a uh, bunch, right. bunch of people use it. it. It does one thing and one thing only. It lets you pick a color off the screen and then keeps a list of the colors that you picked previously. Right, And then it will give yep. you the definition of that color as HTML or as uh, GD, yep. GDK colors or whatever. That's all it does. And I get a bunch of feature requests from people saying, can you make it do this? Can you make it do this? And I'm like, no. Have you built a but, mail client into it yet? <laughs> precisely. And... <laughs> that it is feature limited. It has a feature, and it's not growing any more features. And if someone were to send me a pull request to add a feature, I'd reject it. Um, hmm. But I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Just being no. feature limited is not a problem. It's where um, you acknowledge that people want the extra thing, and that everyone wants the extra thing, but you decide to charge for that but still attempt to call your project open source that is problematic because it's sort of de facto feature limited, even if not de jure. So then what is your opinion on the GitLab model? Um, I think it's fine, but I'm aware of my bias here because I'm not a C-level executive and i'm not a director so that so the the open source side of me is warring with the red flag side of me which is yeah make corporations pay for stuff because they've got all the money <laughs> so i'm not 100% sure how i feel about it i mean in general they seem to do a good thing and i can use gitlab myself if i want to with no impingement the the features that are uh, are locked up in proprietary code are stuff that I don't care about anyway. Uh, so that's probably not true for hosts. So the, the other thing we should clarify with GitLab is if you have a public project that is open source on GitLab.com, you get everything up to the gold tier. So everything up to the last yes. tier you get. Right, okay. Free. Even things like approvals are not in the free version if you're self-hosted. PR approvals. Oh, okay. Because that, be that would be aimed at a manager. Because if you're right, a very okay. small project with no managers, what, why would you need approvals? Why would you need approvals? Yeah, you just do it. Or you could say, okay, 
the approve uh, the approval procedure is I give you commit rights or I don't and you like email me a patch or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm right. curious what you think of another because I think it's it always helps me and is illustrative if you can talk about a specific project. So concrete bu- example, building yeah. on your color picker. That's basically what Redis Labs is, right? Redis was written by by Antirez, who's very opinionated on what Redis and Redis sh- should and shouldn't be. And oh, oh, good. I mean, I consider myself an enthusiastic amateur at being opinionated, thinking of turning pro in the autumn, right? And <laughs> Salvatore leaves me in the dust. He's very opinionated and yes. quite wrong about a lot of stuff, but certainly very opinionated. But I mean, he, his opinion of Redis Labs is here are a couple of things that people asked for Redis to do for years. I was very clear would never be in Redis. The company Redis Labs adds those things, so like Redis Search and all the JSON stuff that they added. Yeah, he were requested for years, and he was like, "Nope, that's not what Redis does. Never going to happen." Now Redis, the company employs him. Redis Labs employs him, and they sell a thing built on Redis. What, what's your opinion of that model? Because they didn't take away a thing, and the thing would definitely have never happened in the core project. One of the things that I don't know is: would it be possible for someone else? to have built the stuff that they built is it built uh, is it built on public redis apis and i don't know the answer to that and um i tried to work it out and i and i don't know i think the redis lab stuff as i understand it is not a redis plugin it's basically a redis fork yes I it's think. more of a redis distribution yeah to my so so in essence what they're doing is they're taking an open source project and forking it into a proprietary project and that's you're allowed to do that, right? I mean, if you don't like that, GPL your project. If you didn't GPL your project, you are by definition okay with people doing that. Yep. I think I think I think where this gets complicated. <clears throat> my broad view here is I actually think when people are talking about open core, we're often talking about very similar things, but there is a lot of miscommunication happening here. And to me, Let's take, for example, Mattermost, right? Who, for those people who are unfamiliar with Mattermost, it's kind of like Slack, but it's open source, and you can run your own backend. I think if Mattermost started the... First of all, I think my definition of open core is is the primary investor in building out an open source project is a company. It is the canonical to Ubuntu. It is the Red Hat to Rel. You know, it is the HashiCorp to Vault, Right is that there's one main company behind it. And what their strategy is, is they're going to build an open source piece of software that's really useful to people. And then that builds an audience and then they will sell services or additions or products on top of that. Now, if Mattermost, for example, created their open source piece of software called Mattermost, and they said, for example, you can't create channels. To me, that would be such a feature limiting thing that it would essentially make the actual project itself kind of useless. Um, but what they've instead done, I think what GitLab have done is they've built so much functionality into the open source project that it could stand alone without a company and be useful, um, by definition. So then what happens is I think if the company then goes and builds the equivalent of Mattermost enterprise or GitHub enterprise, or whatever it might be, where you layer on additional features that you wouldn't put into the core version, into the open source version, I think that's okay. Uh, I think it's okay if you're basically building you can choose where to where to focus your your paid engineering talent right you can gitlab can tell their engineers to work on whatever they want to right but the other question there to me is then 
what is the policy in terms of how that open source project is run? And this kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier on, Ak, about if the only way to get code into the open source project is you've got to be in the old boys club that's really closely aligned with that company, it's not an open source project. So to me, where I think we have a lot of problem with open core is that the open source projects in some cases are not operating open enough. And I think GitLab and Matamos are good examples of doing it well, but there are many examples of company, uh, like take Android, for example. Yeah, Android is a bad example of an open source project. Exactly. Well, it's a good I, example of a bad open source project. I, 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 I think, uh, this is what I meant earlier about the um, about dividing the company down the middle. If um, having an open source project with proprietary add-ons, fine, right? If, if you are the sort of person who thinks that that in itself is not okay, you're not going to be okay with anything we describe here. So I would, exactly, exactly. I, I, I would sign out of this whole segment. Right? Yeah, switch off. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to like this. Okay, we get I, it. I think 10, but, 10 years ago, Ak would have signed out of this. Uh, absolutely. I would, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would say probably 15, but yeah. 15, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the point, the point still stands. <laughs> but, the po- but the point absolutely stands. Um, so so the question becomes could the proprietary stuff have been built by someone else if the answer is yes you are an open source project and you just happen to sell proprietary add-ons if the yes. answer is no then you are open core in my opinion because the proprietary stuff is able to be built because of stuff that you have that other people don't whether that's access to the developers, access to internal APIs, access to documentation, the ability to steer the strategy of the project, whatever. I mean, by that definition, QMail is open core. And I don't like there's so many open source projects that it's impossible to get things accepted into that are just projects and not products and no company. Right. So I don't know that that's a business model or, or open they- core thing. They're not well. This is why I mean, part of this, and it seems to be easy to say, is open core good business model. But I'm not sure open core exists. It's one of these things where people have boiled down a very complicated and nuanced discussion into a couple of words, so it makes it look like there's only one concept to talk about. It's like cloud. You go, should I? Um, should my next project be built in the cloud? And you're like. How the hell do I answer that question? What does that mean, Ethan? It's not the, a small question. No, exactly. <laughs> but but that's but, but the fact that there's a convenient buzzword to hang the concept on makes it feel like it's simple to talk about, and it isn't. Which is why I think taking some arbitrary point on the line between completely open source, completely proprietary, paid for, not paid for you know, somewhere in this two-dimensional graph and drawing a circle and saying inside this circle is open core is kind of meaningless because the because the well, dividing line yeah. is kind of arbitrary. And it's tricky, isn't it? Because if you take a typical open source, let's take Linux, for example, right, which is completely open source. Um, and you take a company that invests a lot of engineering time into Linux, let's say Intel, for example. Intel get to choose what their engineers get to work on, right? They're not obliged to work on anything um, against their will, but they are obliged to follow the coding requirements and conventions or cultural expectations of that project. And I think that's one of the things that makes open source so great. So where it gets tricky here, I think, is let's say um, you have a project like Open Policy Agent, right, which is 
uh, part of the CNCF, and you've got a company called Styra that's like they've got a bunch of engineers who are working on that. Styra really get to choose what they spend their engineering time on, and I think we'd all agree that that's fine and fair and reasonable. So to me, technically, some people will call that open core, but I don't know whether when you look at the Wikipedia definition, whether it says feature limited, technically not building things that the hive mind wants in that project is technically feature limiting something, right? But I think we all know that that's not the case, right? I don't know of any open source projects, probably with the exception of Android, where they have been intentionally feature limited to sell a proprietary product. I, I think, do, you know, do you guys know what I mean? I think their definition of feature limited implies not that that feature is not available at all it implies the feature is available but it's in the proprietary bit so you've got a project which is incomplete in itself but it is complete as long as you include the proprietary add-ons something where this something where a feature is not available at all anywhere that's not really feature limited it's just not done yet and that right. that leads into um, a useful sort of bell, book, and candle test for uh, decide for, for, for making a company commit to how open source or open core, whatever they are. If they've got open source project and they sell a proprietary add-on, show up with a pull request to implement what the proprietary add-on does in the open source project and see what they say. See that is the el- that is the most elephanty of elephants that can be in the room <laughs> when it comes to open call. Yes. The thing about Android is it's an interesting example I think for a, a couple of reasons depending on what your definition of open source is it is open source, right? The the Android open source project contains everything developers need to build Android. In that regard it is open source project. It does not yeah. include everything you need to have a smartphone OS. So yeah. if your goal is to have a smartphone with a full-blown ecosystem underneath it, that's not Android open source. But if what you want to do is build Android for the feature sets that Android solves, it, it is open source. You can contribute to it. They will accept patches. But is your like what's the line there? Yeah, and uh, and interestingly in that, um, so leave aside. Um, the idea that in order to have a fully functional smartphone OS, you need Google Maps and Gmail and Because it doesn't come right? with Google's yeah. apps, and it doesn't yeah. come with Play Services, and the, increasingly the, they're building well, a well, whole bunch into Play Services. Well, well, bear with me. That, that's, exactly the, that's exactly the point here. So leave aside things like the Play Store and so on. Google are bundling a whole bunch of stuff into Play Services now, which is not open source. And the yeah. reason for that is slightly unfair i think because you put an open source project out into the world the whole point is people can take it and use it how they like so what happened was loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of phone manufacturers took it and used it how they like by putting it on phones and then never updating it the point is everyone blamed google for that and so google went you know they must have sat they must have sat around a table somewhere and gone there's nothing we can do about it. We open sourced it. People can take it and do what they want with it. One of included in what you want with it is putting it on a phone and then never updating it. We can't make people do that. Um, what do we do? And so the answer is, okay, there are only two ways to do this. We either go, that's the way it is, suck it up, or we make a bunch of stuff be under our control. So when we get blamed, we can fix it, by which we will force them to accept OTAs. 
you know, over the air updates, even if the manufacturers don't want to update it by sticking half of Android inside Play services, which we can update through the Play Store. It is both the carrot and yeah. the stick. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's weird. So, <laughs> uh, so I kind of get why. I mean, imagine you went to the Apache Foundation and said some people have, uh, a bunch of people have taken one of your projects and made it popular, but we don't like the way they're using it. You need to fix it. Apache would go, nothing we can do about it. That's the way it works. And Google could have said that, but because it's bad PR to do so, and they care about the PR because the money eventually flows back to them. And if you don't like Android, you go and buy an iPhone and no money flows back to them. <laughs> so, you know, they uh, so, so they had to move away from the whole open source model, which basically made Android open core. Am I correct in assuming, just to understand both of your perspectives, that you're okay with the notion that, again, I know we keep going back to GitLab, and GitLab are kind of a bit of a unicorn in this regard, because they are so outrageously open and transparent about things, way more so than many, and they're a great example. But I would say way more so also- than any, not many. Yeah. The fact that their handbook, there's basically nothing that's not available. Yeah. So anyways. I mean, not to, not to that extent, but there's a lot of companies who are very open in how they work, but GitLab does take it to a whole new level. But, you, you, you know, I, am I correct in assuming that both of you think that broadly, if you have a really comprehensive open source project that offers a lot of value standalone and has contributors to that project who are not just from a single company, so it's a real open source project, that that is, if you then have one or more company that then builds you know, proprietary additional bits of software that sits on top of that, that you're okay with that. Because I'm okay with that, so long as the, the culture of the open source project is intact. If it's, if it's just engineers working on an open source project and it's a bit of a sham, then I'm not okay with that. But I'm just curious to see, with, with that definition, would you both be okay with that? Yeah. Hey, I'll let you go first. Well, what I was going to say was, yeah, I'm okay with it in the same way that I'm okay with democracy, and that I think that model has problems. I just can't think of anything better. Right. Yeah. You know, I would much rather there it's, wasn't the it's need not without for its limitations. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I would much rather there wasn't the need for proprietary add-ons. Um, but yes. equally, people have got to eat, and I want people to be able to eat and go on developing software and getting paid for it. And yeah. no one's come up with a better model so far. <laughs> than than that. I mean, there's and there will be and there will, in theory, there will be people listening to this going, "No, what you do is you make it open source, and then money just sort of arrives somehow anyway." But presumably, those people all signed out of this segment ten minutes ago, so we don't have to listen to well, them. Well, the the other <laughs> model, of course, is like the other model is you know you have services and training and certification and stuff that wraps around it, but there's not software related. But putting that to one side, I'm just talking yeah. about specifically software. Yeah, you, so, you're so, begrudgingly okay with it, but yeah. just because. You'd prefer something that's more free software. But, I, I, yeah. I, I'd prefer it if it was all open source, but equally, th- right. it doesn't. It doesn't work. We've tried the be open source and see if money just distills out of the air around your building, and it doesn't. Work. I haven't seen it. Haven't seen it yet. <laughs> what do you think, Jeremy? I mean, a c- couple things to unpack here. It's not like other, I guess, for whatever reason, less controversial models aren't without inherent conflicts of their own, right? If your model is support and services, there is a kind of intrinsic balance of well if we make this really tough to install we'll get more services if we make it yeah. outrageously easy to install we get no money so that, this isn't that, the only th- that that seems to dovetail to me very neatly the idea that 
uh, the sort of company who would say, yeah, here's our open source project, but in order to save to disk, you need the proprietary saved disk add-on, are exactly the same sort of people who would go, here's our open source project, but it's really hard to install, but you can install, but you can fix that by hiring us to install it for you at the low, low cost of. But yeah. to, to get back to the actual question, I, I'm not sure what are you okay with it is really asking. Like, do I, I think it's, <laughs> What, what is I'm my asking opinion? Are you okay with it? I mean, am I okay with it's a company that, write, science, that writes software and then follows their own license? I mean, is it, I don't know what I have to not be okay with this. Like, no, do I I'm think it is always the it. best business asking, model? Is is that the question? Or like, oh, oh, okay dude, with it I, as I a business know. model? Okay with it philosophically? Like, I. <laughs> Am I speaking German? I don't know if this is a particularly complicated <laughs> question. I'm just saying, is the notion of someone building proprietary add-ons on top of a objectively, genuinely open source project, are you okay with, are you comfortable with that model? Do you, understanding that it's not perfect, there are, there are flaws with every business model that we just went through, but is that a model that you outright object to, or is that something you feel comfortable with? So it's not a model I'll outright reject i think to x point a little bit earlier there's a wide spectrum here and i think if right. you're going to do it the way salt does it i think it's great if you're going to do it on the other end of the spectrum it's more yeah i guess what do i think of as a business model is probably a better question and i suspect that you really i think part of this is if you're selling software you have to make it very clear why customers should pay what they're paying and, and have them understand what they're paying for and then align that well. Like I'm more of a Friedman guy, I guess, than a uh, you know. I think if, if that make if I don't know how much you guys are into economics before I start explaining all this, but um, uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not a Friedman guy. Get- I'm, more, I'm more of a Drucker guy. Like a company exists to create a market for a solution, not just to return money to their shareholders, right? So. I fall into the, yeah, the course, yeah. Okay. Well, no, a lot of people are more Friedman people. Yeah, yeah so, I can say the the of course there. Yeah, I mean, I think of course as well. A whole lot of uh, people would utterly disagree with that as a point so, of view. So I think yeah, those uh, people are wrong. In my opinion, a lot of <laughs> why this discussion has become a hot topic lately, in my opinion, is I think there are some companies out there that took a bunch of VC money, didn't have a great business model, and are now tr- iterating on open core and other business models to try to get the return that they need to get to, to exit in a way that their VCs are happy. So this is a discussion that's happening a lot these days. And I think some of those companies, the, the painful answer is going to be, they didn't understand what their business model was or what they were really selling. And that probably doesn't end well for those companies. Open core or otherwise. Just with my consulting business, I work with a number of open core companies, um, and I'm yet to stumble across somebody who um, they're just they're they're focusing on on this model for what I would consider to be all the wrong intentions. They're just like this is just a Trojan horse that we can use to get a high return later on. I think a lot of these companies are founded by. People who are first and foremost open source people, they've spent a lot of time working on various open source projects, but then they're like, okay, how do we now make money from this? Well, it's logical that we could build an enterprise version of it. And they see this as a good model to do that. So to me, the intention with many of these businesses, I think is actually reasonable. The problem I've got with it is I think a lot of them do it wrong. 
is that what they do is they focus extensively on the commercialization element and the go-to-market pieces. But what they don't do is that what I would call that connective tissue between a completely open source project and a completely proprietary uh, a, a company. They don't build that cultural bridge, right? I mean, just when I think back to, for example, when we were at, when we were at Canonical, so much of our time was spent on not just building Ubuntu, but also trying to build the right culture between Canonical staff members and the community and providing reassurances that Canonical was doing it with the right kind of intentions. And we made good decisions and bad decisions in that area. And I actually think where you get companies that don't do a good job in this is because they don't understand that culture of open source and they don't build that connective tissue. So what happens is you get animosity brewing between both sides of it. You know, the company will be like, this bunch of whiners in the community, we've devoted all of this engineering time and they don't appreciate anything. And then in the community, they're like, this company doesn't get the fact that we're actually an open source project and they're just trying to monopolize, you know, what we've got. Which, which is why the people building add-ons should, should, in, should uh, communicate, interoperate with the core project team the same yeah. way every other contributor does. Exactly. And then the problem basically goes away. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a certain amount of you run into someone at lunch and have a chat about it, right? But that applies, going back to last week's conversation about remote work, that applies exactly the same way to that. That's kind of inherent to the thing, and you, what you do is you try and work around that. But largely, yeah. if the people building add-ons and the people building the project communicate the same way that someone in another company building an add-on and the people building the project communicate then you basically don't have a problem you are obliged to put in place methods of communication which are available to everybody and have some kind of relatively transparent system for saying yes or no even if you're transparent about the fact that yeah we're putting this in because we want it because it's good for our business model Right. At least people will know that that's happening. I mean, um, you know, if the CEO of your company says, yeah, we're going to put this in, even though um, it hasn't passed all the proper tests yet, we're putting it in anyway because we want to, then people will know that. And at least in theory, if you do that continually and gradually screw your community by doing it, you'll stop having a community. I'll give you a concrete example of this and also where I think part of the problem lies here. <clears throat> I can't say the name of them, but I... I'm currently working with a company and we were talking about exactly this. And one of the things I was saying to them is whenever you want to add a new feature into the um, open source version, you have to submit this as a public pull request, right? And you need to go through the, the published community workflow that you've defined for this, even though you have an employee of your company submitting the pull request and you have two other employees of your company reviewing that pull request, ultimately approving it, and then merging it into the main into the main branch, all of that stuff has to happen out in the open in, in, in GitHub. And for them, they were like, conceptually, yeah, that's obvious because that's how open source gets built. It's all done out in the open, right? The conversation about what you're building and the norms of the project are done out in the open on Slack or mailing list or whatever and in GitHub. But I think what they found on Intuitive was, but these are just my employees. It would be way quicker for us to just get on a Google Hangout and talk through this. And one of the things I had to emphasize was it doesn't matter. If you want to build a real open source project, there's got to be that history behind it 
Otherwise, it won't be a real open source project. It will have the illusion of an open source project, but it won't have the workflow behind it. And I, I think a lot of open core companies wrestle with that a little bit. I mean, don't I, you think I, Canonical wrestled with that, the way they dropped Unity, even though it was actually good? What do you mean? That was not communicated that, in any way. It was worked on behind the scenes very much and then dropped. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I, think I, mean, was, I mean, I would not consider Canonical in any way, shape, or form an open core company. So again, I think no. these aren't open core problems; they're business model they're, and, but that, and, com- and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I, that's and that's kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, but I was just going to say very quickly. Oh, I think Unity is actually a good example of this. Canonical dropped their investment in Unity, which I think they're more within their rights to do. But looking back on what happened with Unity, I think the level of private discussion that went into unity the private designs in the in the original stage of this that was not within the spirit of open source and i think it was expected to be landed within open source but it was it was difficult because i think (laughs) where it gets difficult is that i can understand why the community was critical of that however i can also understand that at the end of the day you've just kind of get got to get a start on something but this is right at the middle of open core. Like within that, that was just part of canonical and what we're yeah. doing in Ubuntu. But um, but you seem to be um, espousing way two different things there. If everything has to happen in public, you then just pivoted no, what, right to. But then sometimes you just got to get started with no, things, no, 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 which no. is what the I'm opposite of things is, happening in public. No, I think these are two different things because the way Unity, to use that as an example, was proposed for inclusion into Ubuntu did happen out in the open. I've got nothing against someone going away and having a private conversation about a new feature or a new branch or something along those lines and then proposing. I think it's a suboptimal way because it's better if you have those conversations out in the open. What I'm saying is that if you've got two different cultures, Canonical was a weird example because I think with the open core model, Generally, it's one company who is deliberately going to be seeking to build proprietary serv- uh, products that sit on top of that of that of that system. Canonical was never planning on building a enterprise version of Ubuntu. It was going to build things like Ubuntu One that would sit on the side of it. So, therefore, I think you need to be ultra specific about your intentions when you're starting out with that model. Canonical had no idea what it was doing when it started out. It just wanted to build Ubuntu. So, I think it it morphed. Ek, you were going to expand there. Yeah, curious what you were going to. Well, I mean, um, well, first of all, take, John, I'm taking your example of um, uh, the company saying, but it'd be way quicker if we just put our engineers together on a Google Hangout or something. Say, okay, fine, if that's what you want to do. Um, but then the person who took that um, that Hangout meeting uh, and then had the conversation about it has to be prepared to do that for any member of the community who wants to do it too. And then, and then their boss will go, what? But then they'll spend all their day having conversations with people about features. You go, yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. If you don't like that, make your people go through the same. What this is, this is what I meant earlier about um, it becomes a bad thing to do when your people building the proprietary stuff have access to a bunch of secret stuff that community contributors don't. Whether that is the ability to ring up the maintainer of the core API stuff and say, put this in for me because I told you to, or access to the internal API documentation, or access to the person who can tell you that if there is no API documentation or whatever, that's where um, you... Un- and you're you, always going to have that, right? You unfairly privilege the right. proprietary bits of the company against, frankly, proprietary bits of other companies. If you completely leave out open source here and just think of yourself as some kind of lunatic free marketeer, what you're doing is leveraging a monopoly against other companies. You've got the monopoly over your source code, at which point you're not open, right? 
slightly strained analogy, but bear with me. <laughs> it's an interesting point because if you're building, if you're building a proprietary product that sits on an open source project, just because you're the only one that's done it doesn't necessarily mean you have a monopoly. If you control the means of production, then you do. That's the point. It's not that you're the only person who's done it. It's that if you've got two companies, one of whom is you and the other one which is someone else, and you both need some new API put in, and that other company has to file an issue saying, we'd really like this API, and that issue then gets ignored for two years, and your guy just rings up someone else in the same company and says, we want this API, you have to put it in because you were told, and then they do it. That's totally right. unfair. That, uh, that that second company is going to think, we're being screwed here. How is this an open source project? It's not open source at all. Yeah. And that, I think, is kind of the the fairness point, which is why, is quite, which is why we talked yeah. earlier about the elephantiest of the elephantist in the room, where right. someone shows up with an open source contribution which duplicates or obviates one of your proprietary add-ons. What do you do in that situation? Because there's basically no good answer. You can either accept it and essentially throw away one of your revenue streams by doing so, which it would require the purest of open source fanatics to be prepared to do. And anyone who's that pure an open source fanatic isn't running a company. <laughs> or you say, no, we're not accepting it on day one when they suggest doing this and then you look like a bunch of people who are protecting your business model over open source or you wait until the person's written it and then you reject it at which That's point not at, good at which point you look like <laughs> a um a company who's protecting their business model open source and that guy has a shit in your revolving door for making you for making him waste six months <laughs> of his life right what a what a what a poetic analogy <laughs> You know it's going to happen. Don't do that, company. But I mean, using, I mean, using the Redis example, one if you need to. Using yeah. the Redis okay. example here, if someone else w wanted to merge the equivalent of Redis search into Redis, the answer would have always been no. Yeah. And if you wanted to do so now, the answer would still be no. But Redis itself is still BSD three. You could still create a different version of Redis search and sell it as another company. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Just because Redis Labs does a thing doesn't mean you can't do the same thing if you think you can do it better. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure they're open core. That's a fork. Um, they're selling a separate project, which just happens to have a bunch of Redis bundled into it. I think they're, 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 so they're, they're you not selling. Yeah. Redis they're not open selling. Core. They're not selling an. I'm, I'm working through this in my head here, but they're not selling an add-on to Redis. They're not selling a thing where you go and get the Redis open source project, and then you get their thing and combine them. No, they're basing their product on Redis, the project, with a whole bunch of extra bits. Yeah, they're, they're, you're buying. You're buying Redis Labs, a proprietary project, a proprietary product. It happens to use a bunch of Redis in there, and maybe this is sophistry because they're doing the bundling instead of you. But equally, Windows used the BSD TCP stack for ages, right? That's similar. I mean, it's a different scale. So, by your definition, almost nothing is open core. Which is why I think it's meaningless work. <laughs> Interesting. So you don't um, consider then GitLab. Or Redis, Open Core. I have um, we we discussed this a week ago, and I've spent time reading up on it, and everything that I've read makes me conclude that I still don't know what Open Core is, 
And I I can say I think this business model is a good thing to do, or this business model is a bad thing to do. But which one which ones of those you arbitrarily label open core and where the boundaries are, to me, it doesn't seem like a useful distinction. It's only useful if you want to write articles saying, is open core a good idea? Or let us help your business do open core in the future. And and this is where I think the conversation is interesting because th- there is no open core is not a good or bad business model and it's not good or bad. I think as with every other business model on earth, it's a good fit for some specific companies in some specific situations and it's a terrible fit for others. So I get, I'm a little confused that a lot of the conversation is, is it a good business model? Because nothing is a good business model for everything, right? It's just not, there doesn't exist. Yeah, there wouldn't you can be say multiple that for anything. business think, models. Well, that's my course, point. But what, I think what we're saying is broadly, do we think that this is something that A, works and B, is valuable, right? Um, because I would argue that Look, I, I think part of the challenge here is there is, like, there is a fixed open source definition, right? What we can get very specific on. There is no fixed real definition of open core. I think there is a spirit of open core that people are talking about. And I think we've talked a lot today about the spirit of it. And I think what we're saying is there is no really fixed firm definition of it. Well, it's just generally the balance between a proprietary bit of software that sits on top of an open source bit of software. And massively, I would actually go so far as to say, it is a model that works, but the level of nuance and the level of expertise you need to have in open source, especially in getting that balance right, is significant. I think it's a really error prone model if you get it wrong. And it's basically impossible to be expert in open core without being expert in open source first. Yeah. You can't I agree. you can't say I'm I I'm I, I I'm good at I understand I help people I do businesses as open core without properly understanding open source in order to do it even if only to know which bits it's reasonable to diverge from which bits aren't a question because we were all there at the time right and I don't remember this I feel like if you if you produced the open core definition if you nailed down a definition of open core to a page a whole bunch of people would disagree with it or would feel that the thing they're doing is open core, but it isn't included either because their thing is, is now suddenly open core where they didn't think it was, or their thing is not yeah. open core where they thought it was. Yeah. You know, either way. Yeah. 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 But I don't remember that happening with the open source definition where they nailed the definition of open source to a page. I don't remember there being a lot of people going, no, that fundamentally does not represent my views of what open source is. There were a whole bunch of people who said it didn't represent the definition of what free software was. I was going to yeah. say, but, but, at the time, but, but it was a pretty different. contested definition. Yeah, but it, but it, it, there weren't people who said, this is not what I think open source is. There were people saying there should not be a thing called open source at all. There should be free software, and open source shouldn't exist. I don't remember yeah. anyone contesting, suggesting a different definition of open a fundamentally different definition of what open source should be you have people saying there should be no such thing and there was lots but, of bickering on the licenses yeah. like and, gpl3 yeah and right. there are right. a whole bunch of people right now saying there should be no such thing as open core whatever the hell it is but i feel mm. like whatever definition you came up with i think you'd leave 40 percent of people using the word out in the cold yeah but but am i wrong about either of those things was open source more contested than i remember it being so it was the open source definition more contested than i remember it being or do you think that you could write a definition of open core 
which wasn't so vague as to be meaningless and would get most everybody saying the words on board. I don't think there's been anything in open source that's not been steeped in debate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think open source is more of a philosophical construct. Because open core is a business model, like it'd be tough to nail it down that much because business models always have like a circle where you're you're somewhere on that axis. Not there is no definition for for most business models because they you need to adapt it to what you know product market fit and everything else has to go in there. So it's uh, I, I don't think you're comparing apples and apples here. I don't even think you're comparing apples yeah. and oranges. <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree. Uh, okay, no, that's fair. I think I think people see open core as like a um a model in the loosest sense of the word, right? It's kind of like it's it's more of a relationship between two disparate entities, which is the open source project and the proprietary product and what's involved. This is one of the reasons why I bristle a little bit when people start saying either open core is brilliant or open core is terrible because there is so much I think ambiguity in this that we're often talking past each other and it's about separate things. And frankly, tooting our own horn a little bit, I think this conversation is one of the most comprehensive conversations I've seen about this. Because usually you get people who fall into one of those two camps. People like, open core is terrible! Or people who are on the other side, which is, open core is the future of how we build open source businesses. I just think it's all about, I think there's a way more culture buried in this than than anybody expected yeah. is, is my worry about that. I think it'll be interesting and to I see think, how yeah. all these open core companies do in three, five, seven years and see how the business yeah. model changes and, and what iterations they have to yeah. make to be successful. Yeah. The, the the other thing, and I know we're kind of bringing this into the into the finish line, is what worries me a bit about this conversation more broadly as well is that people often use, like when I, and I've experienced this a lot when talking to clients, when talking about open source businesses, everybody talks about Red Hat. And I have to always say, like, Red Hat are a bad example, right? Because they've been incredibly successful, but they're, again, a bit of a unicorn, like you were touching on earlier on, Jeremy, with GitLab. Like, there's no one else like them, right? Um, so I think people need to start pointing to other examples when talking about these kinds of models. And I think so. the other thing that people maybe underestimate is Red Hat was really good at engineering economics, open source aside. They, they were a sound business model, and from from, yeah. a, from an engineering perspective, made good decisions, and then also made good business decisions. And the fact that they were yep. open source was secondary to that fact. Yeah. They were a successful enterprise software company that happened to be open source, I think. is They the nailed it on so many levels, right? They got they the did. culture right. Yep. They got the engineering right. They got the business right. They were early. <laughs> <laughs> good work, Red Hat. Um, so... I would love to hear what the Bad Voltage community thinks about this. Um, uh, so be sure, folks, to go and uh, join the Slack channel and go and join the conversation. Like, what do you think? What's your definition of open core? Would be a good question. Uh, where do you see the lines drawn between the open source project and the proprietary product? Product. Do you, I know we don't want to say do we think it's okay, but broadly, where do you think are the good points and the bad points with open core? That work well and don't I guess work well. when I was making I that point was I, I was curious in what context you meant, okay, philosophically or business model or like right. there's all of the above. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's th- it's a multifaceted I think, discussion. I think it that's is. the um the fundamental question is what should people be doing to do this well? Yes. yes. What would be if if you had to write your um quotes open core unquotes handbook of how to, what to do and what not to do? 
what would you put in that list? What are the the three things you should do and the three things you shouldn't? This is not something for you to answer now, but it's something that I think would be yeah. interesting to hear the community's answers on. What yeah. what would be the things you would say, you definitely must do this, otherwise you'll be bad at it. You definitely mustn't do this, otherwise you'll be bad at it. I, I would also like to hear people's suggestions. We've, we've, we've used a relatively small sprinkling of examples here, right? And I would love to see other people's what springs to mind when it comes to examples of this um, and yeah. ones that have worked well and ones that have not worked well. I'd especially like to see bad, like examples of bad cases of open core. Um, the people who've really got it wrong and people who've got the balance wrong in your yeah. definition. Well, how have you defined open core? Uh, and, th- and that's interesting because there's a whole bunch of people who've done it successfully who don't necessarily leap to mind as being open core. I mean, Chrome, Android, uh, we've talked about GitLab. Our oh, one that do leap to mind quite immediately, and I'm, I'm not sure what the distinction is there. Why people don't say what's the most popular open core company or most popular open core product? Android, right? But it's yeah, not one. Know, that, it's not one that people think of. People go, oh, Cassandra," which is <laughs> you know, no one was Lindos. <laughs> wow! Linspire. Did I forget about Coral Linux? There's a blast. There's a blast. Blast. <laughs> Kevin Carmony, remember him? Man, we 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 actually have um in our uh, notes to go over this. We mentioned something which we didn't um the conversation didn't come around to it, but I want to say it out loud because it's the first time anyone's said these words out loud for about fifteen years, which is Zimian red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We didn't get into it, did we? We did not I, get into it. I know, but I feel I I, I feel I feel like its name should be heard aloud in the land one more time <laughs> <laughs> may it may it be heard throughout this open source land <laughs> yay even up right. to the 50th generation bad bad voltage in 2020 d- discussing red carpet and lindos cutting cutting edge uh, it's a step on from the kindle version one or whatever it Shut was we talked about <laughs> with the kindle the reviews about okay the is i was just gonna say it <laughs> of course you were because you're both dicks that's the reason why you're both gonna say it Try to think of ways to enhance this show. <laughs> Nothing but criticism, people. All right, so that's it. I, th- I hope you found this conversation useful. Be sure to get into the Back Voltage community. Come and uh, join us and, and have a good time. And uh, I guess we'll see you all on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>